that felt like I should be busting some moves up here with those tunes. <laughs> well, welcome to Word Serve. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Pastor Bill. Would love to meet you after the service. I'll stand right over here. Would love to shake your hand, get to hear a little bit about your story. Uh, I'm super excited about this sermon series, The Power of Habit. It is an immensely practical series, so there are going to be action steps. If you have a way to take notes, uh, this would be the time to get that ready because there's going to be lots of action-packed information in this. If you miss it, you can always catch us on YouTube, on Facebook, or at our website, wordserve.org sermons. So if at any time you want to go back and hit the rest of the series or just say, hey, what was that he said? Uh, you can always catch us there. I don't want you to know that. The Power of Hab, uh, excuse me, The Power of Change is a book that was written by Craig Rochelle. He's a pastor in Oklahoma, Life Church TV. So if you want to get the book, it's out there uh, everywhere you can buy books. Uh, I read it, and it, it had a lot of good, dense information. So I highly encourage you to read that. Just to let you know where we're going in the series, uh, we started with I'm Stuck, Who Am I? We're doing Holy Habits today. Next week, we're going to break good. You've heard about breaking bad. We're going to break good. All right, and then uh, quit trying. I bet you can't wait to hear that one, all right? Well, what pastor ever said quit trying? Well, come and find out. And then finally, future you as in future university because we're gonna study how to make us the best in, in the future that we can. And I don't mean like pop psychology, feel good stuff. I mean the best disciple of Christ. How do we do that? And that's what we're gonna wrap up this series with. But today, we're talking about holy habits. Holy habits, all right. So, what do you hope to change in 2024? Uh, let, me, let me hear some of the examples. I heard some the other week. Uh, one was to practice gratitude. One was to cut down on sugar. God bless you. Um, what else are you hoping to change in 2024? Make disciples, yes. Hopefully that's not a change, but yes. <laughs> Make more disciples. There you go. Yeah. Good. What else are we hoping to change in 2024, Word Serve? Strengthen the practice of faith. Boy, is this sermon ever a good topic for that? Awesome. Nice. Yeah, so we have no hope at WordSurf. We're not changing anything. All right, so this is, good. Well, this is a place to start from. <laughs> no, actually, we could say it all by saying making more disciples because that is what lights everybody up. I think when you see that happen, even in yourself, you grow a little bit deeper, you grow closer to Christ. That is exciting stuff. So let's not undersell that part, all right? But a lot of people, when they set goals or New Year's resolutions, by the way, statistics tell me that you have all failed by now. Uh, so anyway, prove me wrong. But when we set goals, oftentimes we set what I call external goals. Like this year, I'm going to lose, and there's a specific, like I'm going to lose 15 pounds. Don't worry, that's not my goal. <laughs> Eat a cheeseburger, man. <laughs> this year, I'm going to run a marathon or a half marathon. This year, I'm going to, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it's something that's very external, very specific. My favorite is actually, this year, I'm going to do the Beach Body program. Now, just pause for a minute and think about this. The, the, the people that market, uh, the, I'm nothing against this. I am never against fitness. But here's how the marketing ploy goes. Beach Body Fitness, sign up around the end of April. Do this program so that when beach season rolls around, you look good. Which, I, again, nothing against that. But have you ever checked in with those people in about October? Because the beach body's done gone by then. <laughs> right? You might look good for a season, but it does not last. Well, I'm talking about today is how to do things that will make things last. Because we don't want to burn hot and cold when it comes to Jesus. We don't want to part-time make disciples. We want this to be the passion that lights our hearts on fire and never stops. So how do we do that? 
And I, I think the reason that we pick a lot of these external goals is because they're easy to measure. If I say I'm going to lose 15 pounds, I can measure that. Did I or did I not? Success or failure? But here's the problem. If we just go to that goal, then what's the incentive to continue the lifestyle that led to that goal? Do you get what I'm saying here? Uh, I see this also. I'm going to run a marathon. Great. Nothing against that. I think that's awesome. But then they go run the marathon. They check that off their to-do list or their bucket list, and then they kind of stop running. And, and that whole lifestyle that led up to the, the diet, nutrition, the rest, the exercise just goes away. Why? Because they met a measurable goal instead of establishing a lifestyle. Do you see the difference? And so what I'm going to encourage you to do, WordServe, as you look at New Year's resolutions, because they probably already failed, let's make some new ones. Uh, let's make some that aren't external but internal. What does that mean, Bill? Well, it means instead of making a, a resolution that I'm going to do something that's measurable, let's make a resolution that says I'm going to be something. So if it's fitness, I'm going to be a fit person. How are you going to do that? Stay tuned. I am going to be one who makes disciples of Christ. How are you going to do that? You're in the right place. We're going to do that together. So instead of to-do goals, make to-be goals. That's my encouragement to you today. And I've got a great example. This guy named Paul, you may have heard of him. He wrote a lot of New Testament, and he never took a breath. Talk about run-on sentences. Anyway, he, had a, he was a mentor to a guy named Timothy. And so that's what I want to read us today. Uh, of all the things that we pursue, is there one thing that might be that keystone when it comes to how we make disciples, how we live for Christ? And we're going to hear his advice to his protege, Timothy, today in 1 Timothy. And I'm going to read out of chapter 4, uh, verses 7 through 9, just to get us kicked off here. Now, uh, I should explain that when I read scripture these days, there's a little bit different change. I'm going to put the big idea that I want you to take away on the screen so you're not trying to follow words on the screen. But if you are the person that likes to follow along, there's this thing called a Bible, and you can bring it with you. And you can open it, and you can read it just as I do. And the cool thing is, if your translation's a little bit different than mine, it broadens your understanding, or it causes a question that you can then ask me. How come this word says this, but yours says the other? I love these conversations. This is awesome stuff. So... Uh, I just gave away what we're going to do. But now you understand uh, why there's not a whole bunch of words on the screen. Anyhow, here we go. Paul talking to Timothy in a letter. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. These are the words of God for the people of God, and for these words, we are grateful. So did you catch what it is that is better than anything else? It's on the screen. Come on. <laughs> godliness, right? Godliness. So this godliness, Paul is saying godliness is better than anything because it is valuable now. It is value into eternity. It holds its value like none other. So what is godliness would be my next question. Well, that's a good statement. I found a really dry, boring definition that I wanted to share with you because it just lights me up and keeps me up at night. It says this, active obedience that springs from a reverence of God. I found a better example. I found this quote out of an article that was written. It says, only God-struck doers of the word can rightly be termed godly. Now, I like that. Why do I like that? God-struck. Well, I've had a presence with something that is way bigger. I've had a presence with the living Savior. I've been struck in awe by what he offers, and it has changed my life forever. God struck believers who do what? Do the word. You ever wonder what the second half of our church name is? 
there you go. We don't just hear the word, we do the word. That's part of being a part of this family. So if you're God-struck today and you do for God, you're on your road to godliness. Godliness literally is taking the way of God and living it out. Not just knowing, knowing about and doing about God. That's what godliness basically means. So why would you want to do this godliness? Well, it has value in the present and in the future. The present, see, and this is, this is where I think people go with, okay, you want me to be more like Jesus, to what end? My favorite question, right? So that someday I can float on a cloud, strum a harp, and be part of the eternal praise band. Does that motivate any of you except the band? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't really do much for me. So we kind of put that off like, hey, on my deathbed, I will accept Jesus, and then I'll be good for eternity. That's how some people take this. But what we neglect is the present value of godliness, the present value of pursuing Jesus. Have you heard of this thing called the fruit of the Spirit? If you haven't, check out Galatians 5, 23. The fruit of the Spirit, things like kindness, gentleness, joy, uh, long-suffering, patience, all these things that the fruit of the Spirit presents in your life. Man, we could use some of that today, couldn't we? As I listen to people, as I interact with people, I sense angst. I sense tension, frustration. I sense all kinds of things that probably aren't on that list of the fruit of the Spirit. What if we started a revolution? Because, you know, the interesting thing about fruit is when you produce it and, and you hand it out, it plants seeds. What if we started a revolution where we live by the fruit of the Spirit and we plant seeds in the community and then we water them and we help them grow? And it doesn't matter who does what, who waters, who grows, who harvests, doesn't matter. All that matters is we're starting this revolution of the fruit of the Spirit. That sounds exciting to me. Now, I can, I can do that. That's worth pursuing godliness. And then there's an eternal uh, benefit as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to be eternally in God's presence. Now, I, I hope... Uh, as much as I love the air, I hope I'm not just endlessly floating around in the clouds, strumming harps, singing praise songs. Nothing wrong with that. But I kind of hope there's more to it. And I'm pretty sure there will be because I am God struck. I have not yet uncovered the vastness of who this guy is or gal or who, God, right? I have not yet uncovered that. But I can't wait to see it. So that's why godliness, but here's why not. Uh, I think we don't take godliness seriously for the present because we've never really seen that fruit. And, and worse yet, we've seen people who claim to be Christians, who stand up and profess Christianity and demonstrate everything but the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, have you ever seen that? Uh, they're, they're generally the people that say, you should. This is what you need to do in your life. And that they don't do it either. Uh, and there's a word for that. It's called hypocrites. And we are accused of that often by people outside the church. Now, I'm not pushing for perfection. Or I'm not saying you have to go out of here and never make a mistake. What I'm saying is, let's own our mistakes. Hey, I screwed up, you know? It wasn't my best moment. And that is part of godliness, because it's called forgiveness, repentance, restoration, reconciliation. That's the cycle, right? No matter how many times Jesus is there to pick us back up and put us back in the mix. That's what it means to be an authentic follower of Christ. Am I perfect at it? Nope. Am I chief among you? <laughs> yes. But that's the point. We, can, we continue to pursue this godliness. Um, and then we also get fruit substitutes. <laughs> it's not the real thing. So what's a fruit substitute? Well, it's like, okay, 
I want peace in my life. So all I have to do is buy this book, this seminar, this tape, whatever we buy these days, and it's going to give you the secret to peace. And it might be total bunk. Uh, it might be a moneymaker for somebody, but it, you know that peace doesn't last. It's not the peace that passes understanding. It's the peace that empties your wallet. And that's not lasting. But this peace, this fruit of the Spirit will last. So don't settle for fruit substitutes. Go for the real thing. Where will you find that? Here's the good news. There's only one place to find it and one place that you need to look. Any guesses? <laughs> yeah. We're all saying the same thing. Jesus, the Bible, the Holy Spirit, it's God. Yeah, that's where that peace that passes and all the other fruit of the Spirit. You notice I didn't say fruits of the Spirit, right? Have you ever thought about that? It's not fruits of the Spirit. Look at Galatians. It's fruit, singular. It means there's a singular source of fruit. Let's not confuse that. Let's not pull other things in as fruit substitutes and try to substitute something else for that fruit. That's godliness. That's, that's beautiful. And then in the future, um, you know, if, if the eternity thing doesn't really apply to you, I think we underestimate what eternity is. I mean, I've had a few trips around the sun, and it feels like a long time, and then sometimes it doesn't. But can you imagine how long eternity is? I can't. But I'm going to be there in the smoking or the non-smoking section, so I better pick well. Right? You choose. You get to choose. <laughs> He's going to ask you right at the gate, smoking or non-smoking? No. I don't think that's how that works, by the way. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so how do we do that? Here's the thing. You're going to say, I want this massive life change. I want to live like Christ. This is going to be a huge affair. This is going to take everything that I've got. You're right. But how do I do that? This is where the rubber meets the road. This is the practicality of it. Habits. Habits are how we get there. This is a quote from Craig Rochelle. He says, God often does big things through small habits. And I don't know if you can see the picture, but that big platform in the back is going to fall because of a tiny one in front that's put in front of a light, slightly bigger one. And, slightly boom, 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 and then finally, you get the big result that you're after. If you try to go for the big result first, I guarantee failure. If your goal, let's just make this simple. My goal is to get to the second floor, and I'm going to do it in one step. Unless I'm a pole vaulter, it ain't going to happen, right? I'm probably going to hurt myself. But if I have steps and I consistently take those steps, I will eventually get to the second floor. We think too big. We think, oh, I, I got to do this big thing. No, you've got to do this little thing consistently. That's the, the point. And that's what uh, Paul is saying to Timothy. It's like you, you do this thing consistently. This godliness is not something that you check off. This godliness is not something that you buy at the store. This godliness is something that you pursue every day consistently. And sometimes you'll fail. That's okay. You don't stop. You keep going. That's godliness. Big things through small habits. So you might be asking, what's an example? Any guesses who this is? Daniel, the lion's den, right? Do you know what, ended, uh, what made Daniel end up in the lion's den? been a while since we've been in the Old Testament. Maybe we need a sermon series on Daniel. This would be good. So uh, what ended, what led Daniel to the lion's den was a habit. A little thing caused a big result, right? Now, let me give you the cliff version here. So what happens is Daniel is taken captive from Jerusalem. He's one of the bright and shiny ones. So the, the conquerors, Babylonians, 
take him back to Babylon to try and re-educate him so that and eventually they'll make him you know, kind of a ruler and maybe put him back with his own people and influence his people for Babylon, right? Well, at the time that he's in Babylon, he impresses a lot of people, including the king, because the king has a dream that he can't interpret. And he asked all his wise men, hey, can you interpret this dream? They're all like, no, that's impossible. And Daniel says, I can do it. Well, actually, technically, I can, but the God who is the God of the universe can. And I'll tell you what he said. He interprets the king's dream. The king goes, wow, this guy's great. He elevates him. The king has a dream again later, same king, Nebuchadnezzar, has another dream that he can't interpret. Nobody knows. Who, who interprets it? Daniel, absolutely. But this is the way Daniel says it. It's like, no one can tell you what this dream means, king. But the God of the universe will reveal it through me to you. The God who is the God of all gods, king of all kings. And he's right. And it happens exactly as he said. And you would think life is good forevermore for Daniel, right? No, he gets forgotten because the king goes nuts, literally, loses his mind, right? And his son, Belshazzar, sorry, <laughs> comes in, right? It kind of forgets about this and does another thing. He has, an, he has a dream where there's writing on the wall, and it's his arrogance that's about to do him in, and he can't get the dream interpreted. And, and so he goes, well, who can do this? And somebody, I think it was his wife, reminded him, hey, there's this guy named Daniel. Don't forget about Daniel. He knows things. And Daniel tells him exactly what's going to happen, and boom, it happens. Like that night. And then there's a new king, Darius. And Darius recognizes who Daniel is. He's about to elevate Daniel to the number one overall, the kingdom kind of guy, right? So do you think there's some jealousy involved here? Yeah, absolutely. So the people begin to plot, how can we take this Daniel down? We can't have this foreigner be in charge of all of Babylon. And so they begin to look at his practices, his lifestyle, his godliness. And you know what? They can't find anything to fault him. He's doing it right. He's, doing, he's very responsible. He's good at what he does. He provides wisdom that guides people along. They can't find a chink in this guy's armor. So you know what they do? They look at his habits. His habit was to pray three times a day. He went to his room, he opened his window facing Jerusalem, and he would pray to God three times a day. And they knew this. And so they went back to the king and they said, hey, king, you need to make a decree because we need people worshiping you. And this is what you need to say. Anybody who worships anybody else dies. We're going to throw them in a den of lions. And, and the king agrees, not knowing that they're trying to set up Daniel. And they go, and guess what? Three times a day, just as he always had done before, they catch him praying to God. They take him back to the king, and they say, hey, you made a decree. It's irrevocable. This guy's got to go to the lions, and he does. Uh, spoiler alert, he survives. And guess who gets thrown into the lion's den and doesn't survive? All the people that accused him. This all happened because of a habit of praying three times daily. That sounds like a small thing, but it's not when it's a big God. Three times a day, he prayed consistently. That's a habit. Now you think, well, if the habit lands me in the lion's den, I don't want to do that. Well, he landed in the lion's den because of all the remarkable things. An entire nation was forced to acknowledge that God is God of the universe through a king's decree. That's what happened as a result of all this. Lions, no big deal, not bigger than my God. That's what the habit did. That's where the wisdom came from. Small things. God can do big things through small habits. Daniel's a great example. So how do I do this, Bill? Well, I got a picture. Pictures are good, right? 
Here's a habit loop. This comes from Atomic Habits and uh, The Power of Habits, a couple of books. So basically what you're seeing is you start with a cue, you get a craving, you have a response, and then you get a reward. The cue could be how you feel. It could be the people you hang around. It could be uh, an emotion that you experience. A lot of times when we're dealing with veterans with addictions, we often tell them, sorry to say this, but you're going to need a new set of friends while you're trying to shake that drinking habit. Because what do you do? You, uh, I'm going to be good. I'm not going to take a drink, drink of anything. You get around your old buddies. You start telling stories. And all of a sudden, it's the right thing to do. And, and no, it's not. But your company has drawn you into a, an old habit that still exists. See, those, those roads are still well-worn in our head. We're just trying to put gates up in front of them. But they're still there. So we can't ever take that for granted. So we've got to change some cues. Uh, craving. What's the, what's the real craving there? It can be deceiving. Charles Duhigg tells a story in his book, The Power of Habits. He says, you know, every afternoon I would go about 2.30 and get a cookie. From, you know, I'd get up from my office and go down to the cafeteria and get a cookie. And I would eat it, and I began to notice that you know, I'm gaining weight, I'm not feeling good, I'm, I need to cut down sugar. And he began to analyze, why is it that at 2.30 I always feel like I need to get a cookie? And he began to ask some hard questions. You know what he found out? It wasn't about the sugar. It wasn't about the cookie. He wanted company. He was an extrovert <clears throat> looking for some help. Yeah, he was looking for some company. And so when he realized that, he said, you know, I don't need a cookie to get company. I'm just going to maybe take somebody and go for a walk, a healthy alternative, right? So when we analyze those cravings, we can do a better job of it. Uh, response, your response, if you're relying on willpower, you're going to be good for about, I don't know, 10 days. Your habits are going to take over when you respond to all these things. They're so wired into us. They estimate about 40% of what we do every day is a habit. How many people have ever driven home from work, arrived at your driveway, and go, how did I get here? Yeah, you want to know a good one? I lived on base housing once where all the houses are remarkably the same. And I was contemplating the, the, the day's events, you know, driving home, do, 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 do everything I normally do. I pull into the driveway and go, huh, who planted that tree in our yard? And I realized I had gone one driveway too far <laughs> and quickly backed out before anybody saw me. But now you all know, right? That's the power of habits. And then the reward, what are, you, uh, what are you doing? What you're doing or what you're becoming, that's what it is. So are you going to reward what you do or what you become? We've already talked about the difference there, right? So try to reward what you're becoming, not what you're doing. I'm going to run five miles every day. Oh, today I didn't run five miles. I'm a failure. I'm, if I'm a failure, therefore I should not run. No, no, no. Reward what you're becoming. How many days have you run five miles? See where you've come from zero to what? And continuing to measure. Don't give up. Keep going. So to make it a little more uh, specific, here's how you form a good habit. On those cues, make them obvious. If your goal is to read the Bible for 15 minutes every morning, lay the Bible out, lay your notebook out in a great place, and that is your, your place to go in the morning. It's the first thing that you see. Make it obvious. If your goal is to eat better, put the food where you can see it, the good food where you can see it. Uh, if your goal is to work out every morning, lay your clothes out the night before where you can see them. It's easy. You just run right down, throw everything on, and you're out the door. Make it obvious. Craving. What's the basic need that you're trying to fill? Because these needs are not bad. The needs that you're feeling in these cravings are not bad, but the response to those might be. It's a, there's probably some place that whatever that need is, you can find it in God. You can find it in godliness. You just have to readjust and look a little bit. The response, make it easy. 
How many people have heard of the two-minute rule? Awesome. Here's the two-minute rule. My goal is to get fit. Uh, I'm going to start with 100 push-ups a day. Can't do 100 push-ups, okay? So for two minutes, I'm going to do push-ups, and that's it. I'm done. That's easy. But the thing is, I do that every day. Every day, there's two minutes. And you know what? After a while, two minutes doesn't seem like enough. I can, I can do a little more. And then it's three minutes, and then it's six minutes, and then it's 30 minutes, and then it's not push-ups, but you know what I mean, right? I can do at least two minutes. Make it easy. Reward the consistency, not the amount. And you will keep going. Uh, the response also, uh, habit stacking. So once you get successful at this two-minute thing, when I initially read that, I was... Uh, <laughs> I was a little blurry-eyed, and I thought it said hobbit stacking. I was like, that's kind of mean to those people, but whatever. Uh, habit stacking. <laughs> so this habit, when I'm done with that, leads to this habit. And I bet you already have that, right? Because you always brush your teeth, comb your hair, whatever. There's a certain order that you do things, and God forbid you forget to do that in order because you might forget deodorant or something. I don't know, right? But it, it, there's a way that you stack on top of each other. Stack godly habits on top of each other so that one leads to another. Even if it's two minutes, two minutes, two minutes, that's six minutes of your life. Have you got six minutes to spare for Jesus? I bet you do. And I bet in this habit stacking, you'll see results. And then finally, make the reward satisfying. Uh, one of the, 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 something that's meaningful to you, something that will maybe, in, in the process of godliness, also reward others. But one of the funniest ones I heard is a guy said, you know, I am going to stop cursing. And every time I curse, I have to put a buck in the curse jar. And, and you, know, you would think, okay, and at the end of that, I'm going to donate it to a worthy cause. No, what he said is, at the end of that, I'm going to donate it to a cause that I can't stand. Because that's my motivation to not curse. <laughs> right? I'm not giving money to those people. Well, then watch your mouth, right? Yeah. So you can do rewards however you want, but the point is we continue to do them however that works. So I'm going to offer you one uh, easy first step. There is an application. It's called Uversion, spelled like that, Uversion. It's the Bible app that I talk about all the time. That Bible app is done by the church in Oklahoma where Craig Rochelle is a pastor. This has been around for a long time. So I would encourage you to download the app, and I would encourage you to search for the power to change, and you're going to see this screen. Now, on this screen, you can start a Bible reading plan called The Power to Change, and it's going to walk you through how to make some habits and reinforce those things. So that's a good, easy step to be consistent. It's only seven days. If you miss one, that's okay. But keep going. Keep forming those godly habits, and you'll be fine. So let me ask you one more time. What are we hoping to change in 2024, word sir? Because I got some bad news, and I got some good news. The bad news first. Hope doesn't change anything. The good news Habits do. So as you form habits, let's make them godly habits, shall we? Let's pray. God, thank you for the power of habit. Thank you that you are a big God who does great things through our small things repeated. God, give us a vision, a vision to live in godliness, a desire for nothing else but you. The stirring in our hearts, the yearning that we have can all be answered by what you provide. Help us to find a way to connect to that and help us to glorify you in the process. God, we give you all the thanks, the praise, the glory, and the honor for you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.